Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Hi, I'm Virginia Collin, and today we're going to be talking about prenups, postnups, and letters to exes. So as you might guess, this show comes in two separate parts, but I have the same guest for both parts. Dr. Vicki Scheman is a collaborative law attorney, a family mediator, and a clinical social worker with 35 years of experience in dispute resolution and in domestic relations. She offers a wide variety, a good array of services from her home base at bostonlawcollaborative.com. She's also a top influencer on LinkedIn, and you can even find her on Twitter. But maybe that's enough for now. I'll tell you more about Vicki later on. Um, Vicki, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I just have to say that um, I thank you for conferring the degree of doctor on me, but um, I am not a doctor, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate oh, the vote of confidence. I meant to take that out of there, and I left it in. Sorry. Okay, so licensed clinical social worker would be more accurate? Um, Yes, I'm an LICSW, a licensed independent clinical social worker, and I'm an attorney, a family law attorney, a mediator, collaborative lawyer. Okay, thanks for the correction. All right, so now we'll get into the really good stuff. You are doing cutting-edge research about how people find closure and resolution on relationships long after the date of divorce. I understand you're working on a book called Letters to Ex-Spouses, and I just wanted you to know. So tell me about that. Where did this idea come from? What's going on? Okay, thank you for asking me about that because I'm very excited. So... A few years back, I came across the lovely book, Letters to Jackie, Condolences from a Grieving Nation. I don't, have you had a chance to ever see that book, Virginia? I have not. Okay. So if, if you open the book, it's a compilation of um, messages that were written to the First Lady. Um, actually, within seven weeks, she received 800,000 letters, and within two years, she got 1.5 million letters within our president's assassination. And what struck me was these letters were written on everything from cocktail napkins to illegible scribbles to perfectly penned, beautiful stationery and um, one-inch margin all around beautifully typed letters. And they just brought together a time and moment in history around which so many people could share a sense of loss and fear and poignancy and compelling feelings about shattered losses and cherished dreams that um, were invested in not only their memories of lost loved ones, but also the president. And it occurred to me that... Such is similar with the, a marriage um, and, and divorce when it doesn't quite go the way one imagined. 
And the lost art of letter writing would be such a compelling way for people to be able to share that feeling. And these are letters that are meant to be uh, written for the first time and probably not ever sent. And um, they're meant to be confidential in the sense that one isn't going to sign one's name. And I ask that they all start dot, 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 and I just wanted you to know, because I think in society there's a kind of negative connotation with dear Jane or dear John, kind of feels a little angry, but it was meant to start with, and I just wanted you to know, as a kind of psychological pause to sit and reflect. Mm -hmm. So that was one way I began to think about it. And the other way I began to think about it, um, do you um, know the name Judith Wallerstein, the psychologist? Oh, yes. Oh, Oh, yes, yes. very definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So um, she's influential to psychologists and many others because she has done a 25-year landmark study on the unexpected legacy of divorce for children. And it occurred to me that it would be fascinating to do a similar kind of study on, for, on behalf of adults. What are they thinking, feeling um, in, about the divorce in retrospect and all that has followed for them? So to boil it down, um, the point of the book is threefold. One is to give folks who've been through divorce a chance to write without recrimination all the things that they may have wanted to say to their ex. Second, um, there are going to hopefully be judges, lawyers, therapists, priests, rabbis reading this book who will have so much to gain from the vantage point of people who've been through divorce. And unfortunately, maybe in your experience, I know in mine, I've seen all those people not necessarily give the best advice to people going through the system. And I think they'll be able to pick up so much from people looking back and reflecting on their experience. And finally, the third reason is for people who are thinking about getting married and for people who are thinking about getting remarried, and for people who are thinking about getting divorced, I think they will gain tremendous insights into what might lie ahead for them. I think letters will resonate to them in a way that they can't imagine. And I have a beautiful example that I could give you if, um, if you'd that like. Be, that would be great, yes. Okay. So I have um, permission to read this letter, and it actually happened this way. This is from somebody who is um, uh, 34, and it's a very special letter to me because when I cast open this idea to the universe, and I've received 179 letters to date, my goal is to get 300. Um, The first person who responded was a male, which was particularly heartening because um, my data has been running 70% 70% women, 30% men to date. The first one was from a man, and this is what he wrote. And I just wanted you to know, good people can be bad together. When failure is expected, unhappiness and misery are sure to follow. I wasn't ready to be a good husband, father, or partner when we started out, yet after we broke up, I became all three growth that was only possible by getting away from you. Meanwhile, you sat, miserable 
in the same job you hated, trading our marriage for an even more tenuous relationship with a married man that continues to this day. I wish I could have been better, could have helped you become the person you wanted to be, but we're responsible for our own happiness first. Only then can we make others happy. Expecting another person to fix everything is a recipe for failure. I still feel badly about ending things, a decision we consider mutual, but in reality was mine. Your inability to accept or embrace change existed before, during, and after our marriage. Our relationship was built on competition and inability to compromise. Quarter was never given, forgiveness never granted. You're a smart, funny, and attractive person inside, but the fear, anger, and mistrust you wear like a heavy coat against the coldest of winter days, and it all but obscures those positive qualities. I'm happy for the time we had together. It helped me become who I am today. I hope you find true happiness someday as well. So the PS to this is that um, I read this letter, um, as I said, with the person's permission, to um, a woman of about the same person's age, 34, who was um, in a relationship where she was contemplating marriage. And after I read the letter to her, it was like a light bulb went off for her. And she looked at me and she said, I now know that I was equivocating and I can't go forward in this relationship. I have just fast-forwarded five years. I see where I'm going to be. And I know that the answer for me is I can't do it. I would be that person in that relationship and I can't do it. Wow. That is a very powerful letter. And that's just one. And you're going to have 300. You're going to have more than 300, Vicki. Yeah. Um, I should mention people who are listening now can participate in this research project if they would like to. Where do they go? Survey Monkey? What's the rest of it? Yes, it's um, www.surveymonkey, all one word, S-U-R-V-E-Y-M-O-N-K-E-Y dot com forward slash S forward slash and then it's capital X for X-ray, C for crazy, (laughs) 89 and then um, F. F F for Frank, Q for Quaker, 9. F for Q, Q for Quaker, (laughs) then then I'll... Number nine, and I hope that'll be on your website too. And it's it's on my website as well. Okay, and anybody can get that by sending a message to radio show at colinfamilymediation dot com. Just yes. find a way to get in touch with Voice America. They will get your question to me. <laughs> yes, and um, all that's involved is um, taking a survey. That's I do not see who the person is, but I can see how long the surveys take. It takes people between two to five minutes to do the survey. And then the length of the letter, I've had some that literally consist of two words. Um, Use your imagination (laughs) for the letter. (laughs) And then I have some that are pages long. So the length of the letter depends on whatever you'd like it to be. I see. Um. I could imagine that we have people listening who are divorced 
And they're recognizing, of course, that they could participate in this confidential research project. But they might be thinking, why would I do that? That's going to drag up a lot of old memories, a lot of strong feelings. Why would I do that? Have you gotten any feedback from people who have already participated? I have. Um, I received... um I've received probably a dozen postscripts specifically to me. Um, here's one briefly. Um, Vicki, I can't thank you enough for starting this book. Finally, I feel that even though my ex may never read my letter, I'm now truly free. And then she goes on with a long paragraph and says, thank you again for starting this incredible initiative. And others will say, where's the effect? Even though I've been divorced 20 years, I didn't even know I needed closure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have the closure I didn't even think I needed. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, I wasn't looking forward to writing the letter. Um, it's, it's not easy to sit down and confront these thoughts and feelings. You kind of put yourself in a time bubble and an emotional bubble. But when you do, you feel rather cleansed. Um, it is quite an undertaking and quite a feeling to be on the other side of it. Have you had any people, to the best of your knowledge, who found that they got started on this and it became kind of overwhelming and then they decided to go see a therapist? I haven't gotten that feedback, no. Um, although that would be, from my point of view, a, a wonderful that might be a, resolution. A good yes. outcome. That could be a yeah. good outcome. <laughs> yes. There's um, also three other aspects to the survey. Um, one is, um, I ask people to fill in this blank. If you knew then what you know now, dot, dot, dot. Ah. I think that's going to be very instructive for people. Um, and here's one I have. Um, I would have listened to my heart and not to the bad advice of everyone around me. Um, then there's another question I ask. If there were any wisdom or insight you could impart to someone contemplating divorce or to someone in the position of advising an individual, such as a family member, friend, therapist, family, law, attorney, or judge. So here's the question again. If there were any wisdom or insight you could impart to someone contemplating divorce or to someone in the position of advising an individual who's going through the process of divorce, what would it be? And that's yielded tremendous insightful answers. People who read this book and hopefully, again, the judges, the attorneys, the lawyers, the family law attorneys, the therapists, the clergy will get tremendous insights from that as well as people who are thinking about divorce and remarriage and marriage. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a really useful book for a lot of people. I hope so. And, um, you know, it's, it's hopefully meant to be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, um, mm-hmm. I've just been frankly honored that people 
have entrusted um, their thoughts and feelings um, yeah. to me with this with this gift and yeah. what I think is really a gift to the universe. Yeah, the confidentiality of a research project can be really very liberating for people who participate in it. That first letter was so powerful. Do you have one or two others that are different that you could read? Absolutely. Um, Okay. And I just wanted you to know, if I could return to the time of our separation, I would do things so much differently. I would communicate directly with you rather than talk about our problems behind your back unknowingly soliciting biased and bad advice. I would show you more respect as a human being and father rather than allowing you to be the scapegoat of our problems. While I was severely unhappy and so hurt by you, I should have done my best to protect you from the hurt I caused you. I know you feel that you were left with nothing and you need to know that I wanted to do things fairly, but my attorney wanted me to end up on top. I was vulnerable and accepted her expertise and my friends and family's advice at face value rather than making decisions that were congruent with what my heart kept telling me. I was so scared that I surrendered all control and decision-making to everyone else. Looking back, I was too worried about pleasing everyone else rather than making sure you would be okay. I'm sorry that my separation has jaded you and your views on family and love. I hope you can find peace and happiness within yourself and that you can one day experience the feeling of a family you so badly craved. I will always love and respect you and hope someday you can respect me as the mother of your children. That's a really good letter too and very different. Very different. You want to give us one more? Sure. Okay. We have time for one more before break. Okay, here's a short one. And I just wanted you to know I want to apologize for all the ways I hurt you. I didn't know how to communicate, so I made you shut down, which in turn made me into a soda can that was shaken, then blew up. I became violent with my words and actions. At the end, none of us got what we wanted. I'm so sorry for all the pain I caused. I'm happy to have met you. Though I learned and grew a lot, I wouldn't take anything back. Many blessings to you now and to your family. That's a really good one too. <laughs> the um the the themes in the second one resonated a lot for me. Um so many people do get bad advice from friends and relatives mm-hmm. who of course are biased. They're hearing your story from your side and they believe it and your ex must be a terrible person and it's all his fault or all her fault. Um, And the lawyers certainly, you know, a lawyer's job is to be a vigorous advocate for the client. So a lot of lawyers do have a a win-lose mentality. Um, Well, depending on the the lawyer you choose and the type of of legal representation you choose, which is why I'm a big advocate of mediation and collaborative law. Right. Um, Because lawyering up is... um, you know, not the answer that I see. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, you need to be protected and you need to know all your rights, um, but it's not at any cost. Right. And um, 
there are many, many ways to get through the process. Okay, we're going to go to break now, and we may come back and say a little more about these letters to ex-spouses and what people have to say many years later after a divorce, still looking for closure. But we are also going to move on to our second topic, before and after you say I do, what everyone should know about prenuptial and postnuptial agreements. So I'll be back in a minute. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters and our conversation today about two topics that might seem unrelated, but in fact are very much connected. The first is letters to ex-spouses, and the second is planning and negotiating and creating prenuptial agreements or postnuptial agreements. That's another option. My guest today is Vicki Sheeman, who's an attorney, And actually, she has repeatedly been among Boston's top-rated lawyers in three different categories, alternative dispute resolution, family law, 
and mediation and collaborative law. And this is based on ratings by her peers. The other attorneys all say (laughs) Ms. Sheeman is one of the best attorneys around. So we're going to spend a little more time on letters to exes, which are people's looking back at relationships in the past. And then we will shift to how that might help inform people making decisions about the future for prenuptial agreements or the present for postnuptial agreements. So I liked the letters so much, Vicki. I would love to hear a couple more. Okay. Well, um, I told you that one of the questions in the survey talks about if there were any wisdom or advice you would impart, what would it be? This person says, have a strong support system. Try everything in your control to make the marriage work, to avoid regret afterwards. Get your finances in order. Look at what you can do differently if you feel there's any hope for the marriage. Do not Get involved with another man or woman to help you get through this, even if your spouse has chosen to do so, and get therapy. Wow, that's a lot of advice. I think those are all excellent pieces of advice. (laughs) Okay. Um, This letter is about um, a child in the middle, which I think is very insightful. And I just wanted you to know, Despite your belief that I'm battling with you, I'm not. I never wanted to be divorced. I was in love with you. I'd planned our long lives together into old age. Marriage and forever meant something to me. It was painful to come to the decision to walk away from our marriage. But now, this is the past. Please stop fighting. This is not an epic battle to be fought until one warrior falls to their death. This is a beautiful and magical life. There's a child in the middle of this war that you seem determined to wage. Stop and think of him. Cast your hatred for me aside and think of him. I pray you find joy and peace in your heart. I have. And then this is a very positive one. And I just wanted you to know that I'll be eternally grateful that after I hurt you so terribly and our marriage ended, you were never vindictive or vengeful and that we were able to work together to nurture and care for our children in an environment largely free of anger and manipulation, which is not to say that there weren't more than enough pain to go around. The thing I didn't realize about a divorced family until we became one is that at least one member is missing another member at all times. Because of your rare ability to rise above the baser circumstances, the baser emotions that consume so many divorcing couples, you and I were able to show kindness towards each other without which the terror and burden of single parenting would have crushed me. Instead, I feel like we have co-parented our children, albeit in separate households. Our children are amazing young adults now, and I hope you share my pride at the fine young people they've grown into under our watch. Isn't that wonderful? That is a great letter. I love it. everything you could hope for. Yes. Yes, some people really do get it right. They get. I actually have a guest coming up in a couple of weeks, Tara Eisenhard, whose parents divorced when she was a child, and she grew up thinking that divorce was a good thing because mm-hmm. it made life better for her parents, and they did a terrific job cooperating to, ra- to raise her. 
So that'll be an interesting conversation. On that'll another be a day. wonderful conversation. <laughs> what a great template yeah. for others. Yeah. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, you do offer a good variety of services. Uh, mediation, collaborative law, coaching, settlement negotiations, parent coordination, premarital agreements, and postmarital agreements. Let's shift over now to talking about prenups and postnups. Shall I treat that as two different topics or two subtopics that are very similar? I think the latter, two subtopics that are very similar. Okay. So what let's let's start with a definition. What is a prenuptial agreement? Okay, so I think the important thing to think about is this kind of context. From the moment you say I do, there's not really two parties to a marriage. There are actually three parties to a marriage because you're embarking on a trilateral contract. There's one spouse there's the other spouse, and then there's the state. And so as soon as you say, I do, you're taking on a whole set of rights, obligations, duties, and liabilities, which we in law call status, that you otherwise wouldn't have. So as we, as some of us who've been through divorce know, um, trying to negotiate and bargain when you're in that kind of mode is very difficult. It's traumatic. So some people say, well, why not to try to look at all the rights and obligations we would have once we become part of that changed status after we say, or, or at the time we say I do, and see what kind of changes we would like to make ahead of time. And in that way, we can create a prenuptial agreement and change some of those to tailor them to exactly what we would like. So is is a prenuptial agreement about how you're going to treat each other during the marriage or about what you're going to... Is it long advance planning about what you'll do if, God forbid... Your marriage fails, or both? So it breaks down in two ways, generally. Um, What would happen in the event of divorce and what would happen in the event of death? Although you don't have to necessarily address both, but most people address um, at least one or the other. And the ones that I see usually address both. So it's not so much behavior as it is assets, liabilities, maybe inheritances, um, maybe um, family businesses, maybe sharing of expenses during the marriage, retirement funds, alimony, um, dividing assets in the event of divorce. A lot of financial questions, which is important because, as you said, when people marry, they might be focusing on the romance of the moment, but the reality is that they are forming a business partnership Perfect. and they have financial obligations based on what the other person in that partnership does. Right. What's exactly. the best time to think about making a prenuptial agreement? 
as far in advance of the wedding as possible because one of the things that the court would be looking for if one of the um, spouses were to contest this down the road is whether there was what we call in the law duress um, or undue influence. And one of the things that can make this very difficult is the timing aspect. So um, you've, I'm sure, heard of Barry Bonds. Probably I should have, but it's not ringing. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably a lot of your listeners have had, heard of Barry Bonds for lots of different reasons. He's kind of notorious, but he actually also made law in uh, California. In um, 2000, he um, asked a beautiful Swedish woman to marry him, and he was represented by counsel, um, but she wouldn't wasn't. And he presented her with a prenuptial agreement uh, virtually on the way to Las Vegas when they got married. And uh, many years and two children later, um, they got divorced and she sought to have the prenuptial agreement invalidated. She claimed that her English wasn't very good and it was only signed one day before the wedding. The prenuptial agreement ended up being upheld, but the legislators in California... Um, thought that this was egregious um, on one particular ground, and that was how close to the wedding it was signed. So as a result of that particular case, legislation was introduced and passed, and now there's at least a seven-day cooling-off period, and also both attorneys are required. Uh, I'm not a California lawyer, but from what I read, it's a requirement that there be two attorneys to review prenups in California. So um, the short answer is as far in advance as possible before yeah. a marriage. Um, yeah, I would think that people would want to do it far in advance, not only to avoid questions about whether somebody signed at the last minute under pressure, not understanding what they were doing, but also to give themselves time to think things through and make a, a, an agreement that both of them think is a good, fair agreement. As a practical matter, and that's absolutely true, Virginia, and as a practical matter, it takes time to figure out and disclose what your income, assets, and liabilities are, to find lawyers, um, really lawyers really skilled in this area, to have them negotiate, draft, and review these documents. And um, it's a process. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing that I strongly advocate is that folks consider doing this with the help of a mediator because once lawyers um, become involved, is let me just say, I have seen situations where if there's tension and people go to lawyers um, who can tend to, as I said before, lawyer up and not tend to see the relationship as something that needs to be respected and promoted, it can become a very difficult and tenuous position that the couple finds themselves in. Right. When folks think about going to a mediator 
and look for understanding about the reasons behind the prenuptial agreement, uh, transparency about what's shaping the other person's views, family history, beliefs, experiences about money and why they're entering into this agreement, um, and helping them come to mutual decisions about what's best for them as a newly forming family, that can be help the process go much smoother. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that, um, well, some lawyers are amazingly wonderful and some lawyers are really so well trained to be involved in an adversarial process that it's hard for them to shift gears and help a prospective husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife, you know, help them work out a plan that's going to be good for both of them. Absolutely. And uh, I would urge people to seek out those collaborative lawyers and those lawyers who are especially trained and skilled in these areas and um, who know how to promote the best interests of the couple in doing this. How often do you find that there are third parties outside of the, let's say, prospective husband and wife, you know, in-laws or business partners, former spouses, children from a prior marriage? How much do those people get involved or, or weigh in this process? Well, you've just um, ticked off um, enumerated people who are very can be very much behind the scene um, as to the motivating factors that go into prenups. Um, sometimes there is um, there are family trusts, family inheritances, what we call expectancies. Um, there are business partners who want their share protected. Um, there are more and more, you know, children from a second marriage who um, a parent wants to make sure they're protected or who a parent wants to make sure their children don't feel resentful toward a um, a spouse-to-be. So all of those considerations weigh in. Okay. But those people ordinarily would not be directly involved in the negotiations, correct? Well, uh, you know... We, or they maybe are I'm wrong. <laughs> um, in the room and not in the room. No, they are not ah. physically in the room, but <laughs> they have probably the ear of the uh, of the person who's negotiating. Got it. Yes. Yeah, I could see how that would happen. And I want to take this opportunity to stress that if you have children from a first marriage and you are entering a second marriage. Developing and signing a prenuptial agreement is probably very, very important. <laughs> yes, and, and very, very common. Um, I was doing a little reading about um, how um, divorce rates among baby boomers have been rising, um, and um, it's and the. Um, how the demographics have shifted in terms of the divorce rate. And in 1990, less than 10% of U.S. divorces involved spouses over 50, and today one in four divorces involved uh, adults over 50. And with 50 as, you know, the new 30, as far as I'm concerned. What about you, Virginia? Yeah, that's... 
similar to my observations and experience. When I was a child, 50 looked old, and then this big, huge generation of baby boomers came along, and now everybody expects that they're going to still be, not everybody, but a lot of people expect they're still going to be in good health, leading very active lives when they're 60, maybe even when they're 70. Right. Um, So people used to stay together out of habit, I think, or just because, you know, you couldn't imagine getting divorced after 30 or 40 years of marriage, and the baby boomers can imagine it. Exactly. Um, Baby boomers are, according to the research, much more likely than any other Americans to express a belief that the main point of marriage is to seek happiness rather than to rear children, and they would... 66% 66% would prefer divorce to an unhappy marriage. Um, so, back to your point, we are seeing more and more divorces among baby boomers and um, a lot of remarriages. And uh, there is a very real concern about protecting children from first marriages. Right. Okay, we're going to go to break now, and I'll be back talking with attorney Vicki Scheman about prenups, post-ups, and maybe we'll touch on letters to exes after the break. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, Keep expenses down and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters, where Vicki Scheman from bostonlawcollaborative.com is educating us about prenuptial agreements and postnuptial agreements at the moment. Um, so let's say uh, somebody's engaged and that person thinks it would be a good idea to have a prenuptial agreement. What's the best way to talk to your fiancé about that? Okay. So... Virginia, if, if you and I were in a relationship and I needed to bring up this topic with you because I was interested in a prenuptial agreement, um, putting a therapist hat on, it would be um, important for me to figure out whether you and I had what it took to be able to have those hard conversations going into a relationship. And I might be thinking, you know, saying I do is a contract anyway, so it's important for me to understand whether you as my future fiancé and I are going to be able to have a productive and constructive conversation about being able to tailor a contract that suits the two of us anyway, beyond what the state would tailor for us. Mm-hmm. So I would want to be able to be upfront with you as early as possible. If I knew that a prenup were important to me, I would want to tell you as soon as possible, even something like on the second or third date, just like if I had a medical condition or um, I'd been married before and I had a 10-year alimony obligation, that might be something you'd want to know about, or $100,000 in student debt, or um, children from a prior marriage. Those are all things you would want to know, right? Right. If you were going to marry me. So this, this too, is an important um, transparency. Um, I would want to know, and you would want to know from me, whether we can problem-solve together. You wouldn't want me just to present you with a 35-page, perfectly typewritten document. You would want to have input into this, all the considerations that go into a prenup so that we could discuss and understand what we each want out of the marriage. And you would want to be able to have these conversations where we were each sensitive and non-defensive and we could each do that proverbial walk in the other person's moccasin and um, see what the other person was wanting to from the relationship and why the finances um, were important to the other and, and what the other person needed in order to be able to go forward. Do you think uh, that uh, a lot of couples are able to do that on their own or do most people need some guidance from a mediator? I think it so much depends. I'm working with, um, I've worked with some people where they have wanted me to Uh, where they've gotten an agreement and I've pointed out where I think the holes are and they have wanted to, I say to them, you know, you know your future spouse better than anybody. Before we get the lawyer, me, involved, would you like to sit down and have a conversation with him or her first? Mm 
and explore um, what the concerns might be or the challenges in the document might be um, and around the kitchen table and see where it goes from there. And I, I always encourage that first mm-hmm. if the person is comfortable. And um, the answers vary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just bear in mind you're trying to build a partnership, not win a battle. You're trying to build a template for the future. You're trying to work on a document that leaves room for change over time. And um, if something seems draconian in the document, harsh, like no alimony ever, you might want to be able to offer clients insights about phasing in alimony, you know, after five to seven years, seven to ten years, ten to fifteen years, or something called sunset clauses. Um, After um, X number of years, this document will become void, you know, once somebody has assurance that the marriage is on firm footing, they may feel better about Mm -hmm. letting the document just fade into the sunset. I see. So all those things can help couples begin to talk about these, what could otherwise be touchy conversations with more ease. Right. There are two groups who I think are obvious candidates for wanting to have prenuptial agreements. One is people who are rich, and the other is people who have children from a prior marriage. Is should, Are there more people than that? Are there other kinds of people who really would be very well advised to develop prenuptial agreements? Yeah. Um, sometimes, again, if you and I were married um, or considering marriage and you said, Vicki, I want you to be the stay-at-home spouse. And we had um, high-powered careers and I said... Great, Virginia, but if you're asking me to step off of the career track, I would need some financial security because um, if I stay home with the kids for the next 15 to 18 years, it's going to be very hard for me to go back and get a law job. It'll be a whole different world Mm -hmm. um, a decade, a decade and a half from now. So uh, if you're asking me to do that, I need you to put something in writing knowing that I'll be protected financially. Mm -hmm. So... That would be one important reason. Yeah. Um, let's say um, you have a lot of money and I don't. Um, I may say, okay, well, why don't you pay for our living expenses and perhaps you'd allow me to use my money to build up a nest egg. A nest egg. Um, mm-hmm. That might be very reassuring to me. Mm-hmm. Or if you're the one with all the money, um, and we figure out some other way to manage. If I say to you, if you would pay off all my student loans, which is a big consideration for a lot of couples these days, that mm-hmm. would go a long way towards giving me fiscal peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how well do prenuptial agreements work? Well, they work very well, although there are no guarantees. And um, this is a state-by-state creature, So, um, you know, I I can't speak to all states, but generally what courts will do is they will take a look at them at two stages. It's called the second look doctrine. They will look to see if they were fair and reasonable, 
at the time they were signed, and then they will take a second look to see if they're fair and reasonable at the time someone seeks to enforce them. They don't want them to be what's called unconscionable. And um, the unconscionability test is a, is a tough one. depends on how the court defines it. But basically, the court might be looking to see if illness, disability, or some other horrific unforeseen circumstance intervene to make the enforcement unconscionable. Otherwise, courts have a pretty strong interest in upholding people's contracts and not just a bad bargain. Okay. We are running low on time, and I am hoping we have enough time to talk about how a postnuptial agreement is different from a prenuptial agreement, and then also talk a little about what are the benefits and what are the, dra- what are the drawbacks of forming these kinds of agreements. Okay. Well, a postnup just means that... Um, it's a marital agreement between spouses who plan to continue their marriage. Um, so it's, it's like a prenup, but it's signed after the marriage. And um, the spouses plan to continue their marriage, but they want to alter some of the legal rights or obligations that would otherwise occur in the event, either a death or a divorce or sometimes both. So it's kind of like, it can look like almost a divorce agreement, um, it could look like a prenup, but it's signed after the marriage. Okay. Is it similar? Does it have a similar level of enforceability? Yes. Um, one major difference is that the, quote, burden of proof shifts to the person who's seeking to enforce it. So it's, it's kind of like it's, it's guilty till proven innocent, um, whereas prenups are tend be upheld. Um, this is this tends to be seen as not enforceable until it's proven enforceable. You must show that there's been no fraud or coercion. The okay. enforcer starts at a significant disadvantage. I see. In a post-up. Okay. Couple more minutes. Advantages and drawbacks. Well, um, with the advantages, you get to take control. It reduces tension and leads to a more honest, loving, and trusting relationship. It level sets expectations. It protects what's important to each spouse. It's a template for problem solving. Um, if you have children from a prior marriage, it's likely to re- lead to a more accepting step-parent. They're very helpful estate planning tools and can guide your budgeting. And if you separate or divorce, there's less to work out. In terms of drawbacks, they may be hard to talk about when you're in the glow of wedding planning or, or, there's, or there's tensions in the marriage. Um, they may be hard to um, talk about when, because you feel like you're negotiating with someone you love and it can lead to the breakdown of the relationship itself. They can add expense and stress, but they're less expensive than a wedding or divorce, so some people think of it like buying insurance. I would stress that you must have the right team of lawyers around you, um, and um, you must follow up with what you've actually put in the document in terms of following through with how things are titled and with good estate planning, and there are no guarantees in all, and um, you must, um, you can't foresee all contingencies, so try to make these flexible, kind of like the U.S. Constitution, make them living and breathing documents. I love that notion that it's like a kind of insurance. 
Yes. It's a great way to think about it. An umbrella on a sunny day. Yeah. Which is what we hope for marriages. Okay. We're almost done. Is there a last thought that you want to squeeze in before I squeeze in my last thoughts? I just um, appreciate, again, so much um, the confidence that people have instilled in this project. I do hope that it'll shape um, the landscape of how people come to think about um, family and divorce and um, that uh, the results that we're able to publish down the line will be compelling. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk more about it, my passionate interest in the subject. Okay. Well, I guess I'm about to say goodbye to Vicki Sheeman from bostonlawcollaborative.com. And we'll be looking for your book, Letters to Ex-Spouses, and I just wanted you to know. And I'll remind the listeners that anyone who's interested in participating in this research can find a link to the survey on your website, bostonlawcollaborative.com, or you can just contact me here at uh, Voice America, and I'll send you the link. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.